If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you didn't hear last hour, we were talking about Linda Tripp's got a new book out about Monica Lewinsky and some behind-the-scenes tawdriness or whatever, and I wouldn't read it if I were you. If you didn't hear us talking about it, listen to the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com, armstrongandgetty.com. But somebody reminded me on the text line, remember, on Saturday Night Live, they had John Goodman play Linda Tripp, which i got to believe, if you're a woman... Oh, if SNL my. chooses John Goodman oh. to play you, it's not the best moment of your life. That is. Uh, <laughs> that's I can't believe they've forgotten that. That's hilarious. Uh, I'm no great fan of uh, <laughs> Linda Tripp, but uh, that's that that is hurtful. It's cruel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can can anybody explain to me the new Twitter policy? So I just kind of barely heard it, and it sounds to me like anybody who's on Twitter can flag a tweet. As possibly, that's been going on for a long time. Like uh, you, as a user, any tweet that I go on that uh, that I find offensive or want to report, I can just do that. But it's not public. It's not publicly flagged. Like I can flag. I think I can publicly flag any tweet. That's the way it was. Re, uh, I heard it reported. Okay, yeah. Whether I, I thought that's unworkable. That can't be right. I heard the the second half of the story and then the editorial comment on it, and I was uh, stirred up. I didn't know what was going on. So the editorial comment was, and and this is pretty widely known by y'all, I'm sure, that the tech giants of Silicon Valley are extremely important in terms of what ideas go around, and uh, I mean they're they're almost critical to getting the word out, and they lean way way left, and they have an impossible job. Yes, they do. It's fair to say, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How would you do it? How would you decide what goes on there and what doesn't? Yeah, and the whole question, are they a publisher or merely a forum? The rest of it is really, it's it's more difficult than a lot of people portray it. But the point is they're exercising mind-boggling power in terms of politics and ideas and attitudes in the United States right now. 
and they they lean so far left they're they're going to tip over and now with the Biden administration in office and the threat of regulation they don't want in the air they're doing anything they can to kowtow to the administration so they are an enormously important political force and it scares me um, also a, a cultural force and they're evil please watch the social dilemma it is the most important documentary to come out since I don't know when I don't I hate every time I bring this up because you know, it's just, I just know the crowd that's out there. The First Amendment doesn't apply. I know. I know. I get it. All right. Shut up. Oh, I'm having wait. arguments inside my head. Jack, teach. Don't don't berate. But the fact that Donald Trump had 80-plus million followers on Twitter, and we don't hear a word from him now because one guy decided that right. is amazing. It is. It truly is. Um, Although, you know, and uh, teach, don't uh, berate. And we've been talking about this a little lately. If the culture does not support the law, the law will go away. And if the culture does not support the sacred constitution of the United States, it's harder. But people who would like to subvert the constitution will find ways to subvert it. Uh, sometimes in, in subtle ways through regulations, sometimes they'll out and out change it or, or judges will ignore the spirit and the letter and, and twist it. But the culture of the free exchange of ideas is so important because if that culture goes away, the laws will go away. That's why people talk about free speech and, um, in, in a way that doesn't specifically deal with Congress shall pass no law abridging the right to free speech. Having said that, uh, Glenn Greenwald, who is a fascinating character, uh, like many people we've cited lately, he is a liberal, a, a dyed-in-the-wool liberal. But he is a classical liberal, liberal meaning, I want more government, more government programs, more welfare, more income redistribution, but all I ask is the chance to make my case and I will listen to other people making the case, and I think my ideas are better and they will win, as opposed to what's going on right now is if I disagree with you, I will silence you uh, through any means uh, possible. Let's uh, listen to Glenn Greenwald talking about this. Clip number 35, please. The Democratic Party, which now controls the House, the Senate, and, and the White House, genuinely believes they have a monopoly on objective truth. They believe they're the party of science and rationality, and that the only way to disagree with them is if you're either a deranged conspiracy theorist or a seditionist, somebody who's engaged right. in criminal conduct or terrorism. And therefore, they genuinely believe it's not a show, it's not a pretext. They all have convinced one another through this echo chamber that they've created, essentially the entire media except this network, which is why they want to shut it down, that if you disagree with their orthodoxies and their consensus, you are a threat and a danger. And it's so ironic they spent four years claiming they're fighting fascism and authoritarianism. And what are they trying to do now? They're trying to harness corporate and monopoly power to silence everyone who disagrees with them. The very hallmark, the epitome of the fascism they claim to be fighting, but which in reality they embody. That is from a guy on Tucker Carlson's show who agrees with Tucker on nothing except the free exchange of ideas, which is really, really cool, honestly. Uh, Let's do one more, uh, clip 36.
They want to exploit their power to regulate corporations and monopolies. To They're saying it outright. They're saying, we now control and regulate your industry, and we demand that you stop using your advertising money for this network that criticizes us, the party in control. If that isn't authoritarianism, what is? They want to shut everybody off the Internet. They destroyed an entire social media platform. They just took it off of the Internet because they instructed Silicon Valley monopolies that it was their obligation to remove it. It is very very chilling. You really can't overstate how bloodthirsty okay. they are and the control that they're trying to exert over our discourse. You have the schools, including the colleges, the law schools. You have the media. You have the Congress. You have the executive branch. And you call yourself the resistance. It's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, on a, a similar topic, kind of tangential, the whole critical uh, theory thing, which is so insidious, it will tear this country, country apart. It is... It is the existential threat. Critical theory, critical race theory. Uh, among the other people who you ought to read about the free exchange of ideas who are liberals, James Lindsay, the fabulous James Lindsay, and his uh, colleague in those hilariously wonderful parody social justice uh, papers prank, Helen Pluckrose, who has started an organization called Counterweight. And I'd meant to get this to Hanson. I, I think I forgot to, but... So you can easily find this link online. Counterweight, well, I'll read it, aims to create a groundswell of popular opposition to woke critical social justice extremism by rejuvenating public confidence in articulating and defending liberalism, classic liberalism, the free exchange of ideas. Keep an eye on our pages for upcoming announcements. Hmm, I'll check that out. Yeah, it's uh, counterweightsupport.com, I think, is the website. Counterweightsupport.com. Um, uh, but they have, and, and I have it uh, ready, and maybe uh, a little later on in the hour, I'll read one or two to you. They have actual letters that you can send to your employer and sign that are beautifully worded. With data and, and, and weighty, uh, like authorities behind you saying, here's why I don't want to participate in the woke theory, uh, seminars you're forcing me to participate in. Solid stuff. Good stuff. Really good. Yeah. We'll have that for you. Later this hour, they've taken a look at the spread of COVID over a year now, and they think they know what works and what doesn't work in terms of spreading the virus. So we'll bring that to you later this hour. Um, some politics stuff that I think is kind of interesting. Still looking at the uh, the numbers from the presidential election and the way people vote. Mm. The number of counties that went Clinton, Clinton, Bush, Bush, Obama, Obama, Trump, Trump. Wow, and that's something. That is something. What do you make of that? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, more on that and other stuff on the way. Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Madam time for the flag salute. Mr. DeLeon, can you please um, lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance this morning? Thank you very much, uh, Madam President. It would be an honor. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Undervisible. Uh, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Again? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. 
for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. He got there. Did he? <laughs> Oof, he says. <laughs> Sorry, he's not done yet. <laughs> Kevin Alexander Leon, known professionally as Kevin DeLeon, is an American politician serving the L.A. City Council. He uh, was the 50th president pro tem of the California State Senate from 2014 to 2018. He is one of the most powerful politicians in Cal Unicornia. Doesn't know the Pledge of Allegiance, though. Undervisible. Undervisible. Undervisible, oh boy. Undervisible. I think the flag's plenty visible. It's it's, it's everywhere. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oof. (laughs) Nice job, Kevin. That's hilarious. Kevin Alexander Leon. So somebody is doing a deep dive on how the presidential election went, and uh, I I don't know what to take from any of this. We're in such a weird political time trying to figure anything out. I mean, everybody's guessing. Everybody is dang guessing, um, as we have been for quite some time, because we all knew there was a bunch of what they call pivot counties in 2016. Those were counties that voted for Obama twice, then voted for Trump. There are 206 counties that did that in America. You know, I was thinking it might be just, you know, demographic shifts and then people moving and stuff. But if they're going back and forth and back and forth like you were talking about, I mean, unless they're coming in now like the tide, that doesn't explain it. 206 counties that voted for Obama twice and voted for Trump. And of that 206, 181 voted for Trump again this time around. Wow. Okay. Retained pivot counties, they call those. You're getting into some complicated terminology here. Sure. RPCs. Um. One takeaway from all this. The number of retained pivot counties was much higher compared to previous years with large pivots. For example, in the last pivot election, in 2008, there were 264 counties that voted for Obama after voting for Bush. I'm sorry, how many? uh, 264. So they, they had voted for Bush, then they voted for Obama. But half of them flipped back to Romney the next time around. So half of them went Bush... Obama then thought, you know, I'm back to being a Republican again or voting for the Republican. But with Trump, that was only 12%. Dropped way down to practically nothing for people who went Obama-Trump. They stuck with, almost everybody stuck with Trump. Hmm. And they don't have any uh, any answers for, for why that is. Well, I think we talked about it a lot on the show, just how so much of the mainstream media and, and academia and the left just forced people into the Trump camp. You're voting against them as much mm-hmm. as you are for Trump. And there are 35 counties that have voted like this in the United States. How would you, if you're if you're trying to win these counties, and some of these are like pivotal counties, county that goes Clinton, Clinton, Bush, Bush, Obama, Obama. Do you just vote for who you think is going to win? <laughs> and then Trump. And of those 35 that had done that, 32 of those voted for Trump again this time. Wow. So almost all of them. Went Clinton, Clinton, Bush, Bush, Obama, Obama, Trump, Trump. That voter, I don't know. You tell me. I don't know what they are. Yeah, I can't. I don't. I don't even know because, especially Obama Romney, it was it was not clear that Obama was going to win at all. Is there? I know there is a political philosophy that you just alternate, right? Like you're, these people aren't political party loyalists, but mm-hmm. they by alternating which party they put mm. in, they reach an equilibrium of where we should Maybe. be. I don't I'm know. sure the more terms in a row from a particular party, the less likely it is they win the next term. So, the, yeah, I don't know. 
Uh, by the way, and one more thing that's really, I don't know if this means anything either, but uh, looking at inaugural addresses over the years, in the 29 speeches from George Washington through William McKinley in 1901, only 11 ever mentioned the Bible. Since then, the frequency has skyrocketed with 23 of 30 speeches making a biblical reference. So we made the much- Bible! When we were a much more religious country, by any standards, mm-hmm. uh, we didn't mention the Bible much during the inauguration. Now that we're a much less religious country, we practically always do. I don't know if that mean, what that mm-hmm. means, if it means anything at all. Tribal affiliation, maybe? Trying to get the religious vote? I don't know. Maybe if I was to think about it uh, as a psychologist, sociologist, I'd say... There's no need to mention right. the Bible. That's what I was actually thinking is we were so religious and it was just agreed we're all Christians and believers that why would I mention that? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Complete change of topic, uh, but worth an update. You may remember uh, the Tacoma police officer who was surrounded by a violent mob. Have you seen the car? I have not. Have you seen the video? People were pounding on and kicked, attempting to kick in the windows screaming angry mobs surrounding this 30-year veteran of the police force. Guy's almost 60. If you're not afraid for your life, you're uh, making a mistake. Yeah. Well, um, I recently reread the Supreme Court decision that is the bedrock of what is reasonable force, and I wish I had it in front of me because I don't want to try to do it from memory and get it wrong. Because he decided to drive forward and ran some people over. Well, right. In he, this case. He was surrounded by an angry mob. He tried to back up. They blocked him. Then the blows began really raining down, and the windows started to crack. And he drove forward and and knocked a bunch of people backward and ran over at least one person. Uh, that person is hospitalized with injuries, but expected to... Uh, two people were. Uh, they're both expected to recover. He immediately called for medical help, uh, realizing what he'd done. But I was looking at the Supreme Court decision, and the long and short of it is... He used lethal force against unarmed protesters, Joe. I watch MSNBC. I know what happened. Well played. Well played. And there's no defense to that, other than the Supreme Court saying that any reasonable offer, uh, officer, not offer, no reasonable offer will be turned up. Any reasonable officer in this situation would make the reasonable a conclusion that their life was at risk. And it's it's beyond a doubt clear that he was in the right. Beyond a doubt. Um, and, but because of systemic racism and white supremacy and white cops thinking they can do... Oh, he's Vietnamese. Whoops. Sorry about that. So this almost 60-year-old Asian fellow who was terrified for his life used the minimum force he could to get the hell out of there alive, and they uh, they burned and looted and, and, and smashed up Tacoma. I also just think if you can stand in front of a cop car and it can't go anywhere, we'll cease to function as a society. Agreed. If that's all it takes to stop them from going anywhere. And drag them out of their car and kill them. Well, even if you just stood in front of it and they can't do anything about it. Right. <laughs> How are you going to operate? Yeah, I guess if uh, if uh, the three of us in this room were going to rob a bank, I'd stand in front of the cop car. You and Sean go into the bank. Right. Sorry, I can't do anything, he would shout from his car. Come on, media. What works and what doesn't with COVID? Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
So we've been at the coronavirus uh, game for uh, about a year. December was the deadliest month of the entire pandemic. While in our minds, or at least in my mind, like we're past the worst of it, we're not. December was the worst month, followed by now January has broken the record. January has been the deadliest month now. Second place is December. So it's been getting worse, obviously. Oh, boy. But we know more about it. And um, it was a year ago, February, we're about in February, a year ago, February, that the first death occurred. And the Wall Street Journal says, new playbook for COVID-19 protection emerges after a year of study. What works and what doesn't? And it's pretty simple. It doesn't take long to grasp all this. Mask wearing, good airflow, and frequent rapid tests are by far the most important, as opposed to surface cleaning, temperature checks, and plexiglass which either don't do anything or actually do harm. And I can explain that. First do of all, harm. First of all, the surface cleaning thing is it's just it's just not spreading on surfaces. That's just that's just known. Um so if you go to a store and they're like in between customers spraying stuff down and wiping it, that's COVID theater to make you feel better or they don't know that it doesn't do any good. The plexiglass thing is interesting because airflow is so important. They've discovered that uh, originally, they thought it was the big, heavy particles that hang in the air that was spreading it. But it's the aerosolized, tiny particles that are doing us in. They stay in the air forever. They stay in the air and float around. Yeah. And the plexiglass you might be putting in your workplace, plexiglass is a good idea if two people are coming together for a brief conversation, like at the convenience store or something. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to sit in an office space, like, <clears throat> for instance, we are here, this plexiglass that's in front of me, is not protecting us. It's only impeding airflow. Oh boy! Which is actually worse than if it were. Well, okay. Not you know what? I can picture that. You know, I've I've seen. Uh, haven't we all seen various wind tunnel videos with checking cars or airplanes or whatever? And you see where there the wind goes very fast through here, but there are little eddies that are created where yeah. it floats and your search and search, your search history must be a lot different than mine. <laughs> I do love a good wind tunnel video. But so if you've got, you know, a sales force out there in that a, in, melting stuff in the microwave, <laughs> that's another favorite. What's that? You probably don't. But if you did have a bunch of employees in kind of a pit of cubicles or whatever, if you've got them socially distanced and in masks, you don't need to wipe everything down and don't put up the plexiglass. Crack open a window. Crack open a window. Get some airflow going. Make sure they're all wearing masks. Make sure they're all, you know, more than six feet apart. Have your ventilation system fan on all the time. As to the temperature check. Uh, over half of cases are, are you caught it from somebody who didn't have any symptoms over half the time. So the majority of the time you got it from somebody who had no symptoms. Wow. Wow. So the whole crazy. So the whole, have you had a runny nose, a cough or a fever in the last two weeks? No. Okay. Come in. Well, it's less than half the time you you're eliminating people who have had symptoms. But what percentage of those people would have tried? I don't think very many. Yeah, I'm coughing my lung out. I can't taste. My fever's 104, but I'd like to come Why? in. Why? Why do you ask? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And then, wow, so it's not useless, but it's a very limited use. And then to the fever thing, which there's a lot of buildings that you can't walk in until they take your temperature. They're talking yeah. about doing that at uh, ball games. They do that at all, you know, they do that at the school. Um, only 30. 15% of people who've had COVID have experienced a fever. Only 13%. Oh, boy. So it's the vast majority of people who have COVID 
and, and do well, a little the, math in my head. The majority of people who have COVID have no symptoms. Right. But the vast majority of, of people, even if you have symptoms, don't have a fever. Right. Right. Wow. Okay. Wow. So that, yeah, that's, again, it's not useless, but you're screening a tiny number of people. Right. I went in for, I think it was x-rays or something like that, and they did the old uh, thing to the forehead. Lady said, oh, oh, boy, how do you feel? said, I feel great. Why? She said, it's pretty high. I had I said, bat for breakfast. I, yeah, I had raw bat, as they usually do for breakfast. <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, you know, I was early, so I was sitting in a hot car reading something. She said, ah, oh, let's wait a minute. And then it was perfectly normal. So that's why I always insist on a rectal thermometer. But I'm rarely accommodated. So, okay. <laughs> so getting back to the thread of the thing. <laughs> Getting back to the thread of the thing. Now I see why, uh, I, I can't remember the phrase specifically, but lots and lots of uh, cheap tests being available. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. important. Because yeah. so many people are asymptomatic. That's amazing that over half of people have no symptoms. How many of us have had it? Maybe we've all had it. You know, when fidget spinners got hot, suddenly there were billions of them available three weeks later. Yeah. Well, where are the tests? It's a profit deal, as Steve Martin once said. Yeah, but that's fine. All right, price, price them high enough, uh, it's a profit. I know you can get them through Costco, but they're awfully high for for a guy who feels great. How often is a temperature check doing any good whatsoever? How many people are actually so unaware they don't know they have a temperature and don't know that coronavirus is a thing? I don't think that I have did. ever had a high temperature and not known it in my life. And then, and then, and then, so you'd have to have a temperature and not know it, I guess. Or be, no, you'd have to have a temperature and not know it, I guess. Yeah. Is the only way this would work. Or be disdainful enough of uh, the, the rules and regs we're all going by these days to think, yeah, I got a fever, but uh, screw it. I still got to, whatever. So get my knee x rayed or, or, or whatever, so, go into this accountant's office. But so they're catching practically nobody. With the temperature check places, right? That is almost that is almost COVID theater. Yeah. Well, and there's no need to mock the early efforts no, because no. we're all guessing and trying to do our best. I was wearing gloves everywhere I went early on when we thought. Remember the original story of it can live on a surface for 17 hours or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I thought, oh my god, we're all doomed. Nope. Mask, mask is by far the best thing you can do for yourself. Um, switching gears completely to a different story because I want to get this on. This is pretty big. When they started renaming stuff, I remember saying at the time, you know, it's going to at some point be Jefferson in Washington and, you know, the, the slippery slope, but it can't possibly happen, blah, blah, blah. Nobody would be that stupid and ignorant of history. If there's one thing I'm learning as I get older, you got to fight all these things at the very beginning because they will go to the next level. The San Francisco school board has voted to strip the names of Lincoln and Washington, among others, from local schools. Freaking George Washington. Washington is idiotic. Lincoln is astounding. I'll just read you the article. This just happened. The school board in San Francisco has voted to do away with the names of dozens of schools in the district that some have deemed hold offensive histories. Among the schools set to have their names changed are Lowell High, Lincoln High, Washington High, Roosevelt Middle, John Muir Elementary, Great Scott. And Feinstein Elementary School, which I'll explain in a little bit. Feinstein Elementary School, obviously named after Diane Feinstein, who was uh, uh, mayor of San Francisco 
Blah, blah, blah. Now, Lowell uh, High School, named after Lowell George of Little Feet, the great Southern band. But the uh, what's the rationale on some of these? Uh, you, you'll hear it here I'm, in a I'm second. I'm sure it is uh, just chilling. It's a message to our families, our students, and our community. Said, that we're ignoramuses. Said board member Mark Sanchez. And well-known ignoramus. It's not just symbolic. It's a moral message. You are a bad person and a jackass and a moron. I would like to debate you in public. Lincoln's name was recommended for removal from one of the city's high schools due to his reported treatment of Native Americans. Because he fought in the war against the Black Black Hawk Indian War? Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was briefly in a militia that was called up early on in his life. That's right. Amazingly, and not all of you know London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, but she is like so far out there. You know, we've called her a crazy person for a long time. She's African-American, but she's on my side. She has voiced opposition to renaming the schools, saying the board should focus on reopening the buildings to let students deal with the coronavirus pandemic. It's offensive to me as someone who went to our public schools, who loves our public schools, and who knows how those years in the classroom are what lifted me out of poverty and into college. It's offensive to our kids who are staring at screens day after day instead of learning and growing with their classmates and friends. You know, London Breed makes me insane sometimes, but then she'll turn around and show flashes of sanity. That, uh, you know, are, are amazing and so, helpful. In, in Thank this, you for saying that in spite of the opposition of many of your uh, your teammates, London. Well done. I don't know if she said more, but at least in this quote, she wasn't willing to say, you're morons, you're morons, shut up. I doubt she, she says that in the extended she, quote. She's just making the argument, how about we spend more time thinking about how to get the schools open and not whether or not we should take Washington's name off of a school. Or Lincoln briefly fought against the Indians when he got called up. Uh, we shared the quote the other day. Uh, the past is a strange country. They don't do th- do things like we do. So Washington's obvious slavery. What's Roosevelt? Is it Teddy or FDR? I'm Teddy? sure it's Teddy. I'm sure he said something untoward about the well, It could be FDR, uh, uh, Japanese internment camp. There, there's, a, there's a backlash against Teddy Roosevelt. Remember? I don't remember what it was. Uh, he got yeah. his name taken off that museum from uh Well, he had the attitudes movies. of his time, yeah, which yeah, don't match yeah. with the attitudes of some people of this time, and which as, they find amazing. And as Bill Maher said, you'd have had those attitudes, too, if you were born then and not now. You're not better than Jesus. You're not better than Ulysses S. Grant. You just came after. Yeah. The, the judgment of the past, past yeah. figures like this, and and we don't talk about this enough. It's a form of self-aggrandizement. It's an ego trip. I mean, it's 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 ego masturbation for these people, showing how high and mighty they are. How high and mighty am I? I'm going to take down George Washington. That's how important I am. That's how much self-esteem the schools gave me. It's really it's pathetic. Uh, if you'd have told America 20 years ago George Washington's name would be taken off of high schools, you, you, you wouldn't have believed how you could possibly get there. As to Diane Feinstein, a task force recommended Feinstein's name be taken off the list of 44 schools said to be renamed. Um, a recommendation the board ultimately ignored. We have to take Feinstein's name off. Why? Because she decided to replace a Confederate flag that had been vandalized in front of City Hall when she was mayor there. 50 years ago, 40 years ago, a long, long time ago. Uh, So long ago that flying a Confederate flag in San Francisco was okay. That's how long ago it was. But anyway, it got vandalized, and she uh, put it back up, and so she shouldn't have her name on a school. Renaming the schools will cost a million dollars. That's not really the biggest problem. It's 
a problem, but that's not the biggest problem. How freaking amazing is that whole story? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's really troubling. Shows you how crazy these people are. And it's funny, it fits in with a couple of other things that I brought in to talk about. Maybe we can, maybe we can't fit them in today, but there's this piece about uh, uh, gender dysmorphia, transgender thing. And the title is, it's not just gender dysmorphia, it's now rapid onset Marxism. And it makes the point hmm. that Marxism, and I remember this is one of the, the moments seared into my mind from my college education. And, you know, I wish more of the moments of my education were seared into my mind because a lot of them kind of just floated away. But it was this professor explaining how the nuclear family is actually an organ of exploitation and that we need to do away with the nuclear family. And, and he was serious. Uh, she was. She serious. was serious. Oh, she was dead serious. How oh, she dare was beyond you? serious. How dare Could we please stop using gendered language? Right. <laughs> so I sat there. <laughs> please do not use gendered language to, to address everyone. <laughs> so I was sitting there slack-jawed as a nice Presbyterian Midwestern boy with an intact and, and beloved nuclear family thinking, how the hell can you, can you be saying this? I was just astonished. And uh, it turns out she was a Marxist. Um, I know that now, but the, back to the gender dysphoria thing and what you were talking about, one of the techniques of Marxism, Marxism-Leninism, you know, to get really specific, you must tear down the meanings of words and reassign those words to your new meaning. You must tear down a people's history. And render it meaningless. The only thing that matters mm. is the present and the party. You have to tear apart institutions, including the family, and make the government, the Marxist government, the organ of everything that happens. And so it's interesting. We've hit several stories of how crazy are these people? They want to tear this down, rename this, the rest of it. That's right. There's a strategy involved. Right. Right. That's the whole two plus two equals five thing. You change the meaning of two or five, and you've you've changed math. They try to change everything, and then everything is possible. Right, George Orwell pointing it out: war is peace, peace is war. Uh, the rest of it, if you no longer have the the mooring of your history, the meaning of words, what you know to be true, the institutions, the family, then all you have is the party and their doctrine. And by the way, the doctrine will change next month. And if you're still spouting last month's doctrine, they'll put you in a gulag or put you to death. But that's that's such a key part of Marxism and the gender dysmorphia thing. The, what they're pointing out is, and, and they're not talking about people that have legitimate issues. They're talking about the craze. Is and, and it goes into some detail, and it's really good, but we need to take a break. But they're talking about they're trying to pretend there's no such thing as men and no such thing as women. Took to to further break down any mooring you have to what is real. Well, how far has it moved? How fast? Diane Feinstein can't have her name on a school aye, aye, in aye. California. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The vote we took today is essentially a mirror of the vote we will take at the very end. Forty-five Republicans don't even think the procedure, don't even think that the trial is constitutional. And so that shows you they are not going to win. 
So Rand Paul uh, finagled in the way that senators can to have a vote yesterday on whether or not you think the impeachment is constitutional or not, and it it didn't. He's he was saying it's not constitutional. It did not pass because all the Democrats and five Republicans voted against it, so it was fifty five forty five. But his point is, if you got forty five Republicans against it, obviously you're not going to get anywhere near seventeen for conviction. So what's the point? His point being. The Constitution doesn't provide for impeaching golf course developers, which (laughs) Donald J. Trump now is. The five Republicans that voted with the Democrats, I think I can name without even looking at the list. Mitt Romney. Um, the, 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 those two women that always do it. Susan Collins of Maine and uh, Murkowski of Alaska. Those That gets you to three. I don't think I would have known this if I hadn't seen the list. Ben Sass in Nebraska. Yeah. And then Pat Toomey. That's your, that's your five. But, uh, all the other Republicans, including Mitch McConnell. Um, 45 of them said, no, it's not constitutional. Now, there is some talk that some of them told reporters, well, just because I voted that this was unconstitutional doesn't mean I won't vote to convict. But that's mm-hmm. sure hard to square logic-wise. I don't think it's constitutional, but I think he should be convicted. What? Yeah, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Um, Yeah, I think that's your vote, isn't it? Probably. I, I just, and maybe I'm not bright enough, but I can't picture what you're saying. The scenario where you say, oh, no, it's clearly unconstitutional. Hold this trial at all, but guilty. I mean, come on. God, I heard somebody trying to explain some sort of double reverse that Nancy was pulling with the, because the question was, why was the impeachment article so narrowly focused on the incitement, that speech being incited, insightful of our insurrection, as opposed to just more of a general thing? And it was some sort of knew it wouldn't pass, and that would cause Republicans. I don't know. It's way too much three-dimensional chess for me to understand. Mm. They want Republicans on the record voting that Trump doesn't need to be held accountable for inciting a riot, specifically for that. But I would have thought, I I don't know. Well, well, because the American people don't follow things that closely or understand the nuances. Mm. So what they do in the impeachment is make it very, very narrow, something that can't it, it won't. He, they won't convict on it. The speech is not enough to convict. So she intentionally ran something up that could never be convicted. But publicly, she will say he he said the election was stolen. He claimed it was a big, beautiful landslide. He delivered the speech. The people stormed the Capitol, and that's why we're impeaching him. Yeah, I think the, the framing of the Democrats of what the impeachment was going forward is going to be much more broad than what the actual charges that were voted on. I'm sure that's true. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, if it ends up being a loss, though, and the vote is like it was yesterday, I wonder if they'll feel like it was a time well spent or not. I don't know. History will tell. Well, I got to tell you, I spend in my real life zero time thinking or worrying about this particular subject. No, every time it comes <laughs> up, I'm re, I'm like slightly surprised. Oh yeah, that's right, the impeachment. Um, oh, what was I going to say? It seemed important at the time. Zabadabadoo, blah blah blah. The president, the senate. Nope, it's gone, gone forever. Karl Marx, if he was alive today, would be a 400-pound guy sitting on his bed in his parents' basement with a monkey tail beard. (laughs) Is that via the text line? 415-295-KFTC? I like somebody bringing back the monkey tail beard. If you haven't seen it, Google image it. Armstrong and Getty. (laughs) If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, 
Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.